Welcome to Revenue Insights. Every week, we'll be joined by revenue leaders from some of the most successful and highest growing companies. Together, we explore how they built their revenue teams, the journeys that they've been on, and the lessons they have learned along the way. Revenue Insights is brought to you by Ebster. We're a revenue intelligence platform designed to help revenue teams to build more pipeline, close more deals, and retain more customers. Hello there. You are listening to Revenue Insights. This week, it's the end of the first calendar quarter of 2023. So I've compiled my favorite snippets from the conversations that I've had so far this year. Across each of them, there is a clear shift from growth at all costs to a more efficient and sustainable revenue practice. And so I was really interested to dig into some of the key bits that I took away from it of how exactly you achieve that. First up is Callum Henderson. He's the Chief Revenue Officer at Engage Tech. Callum's background in sales development offered a pretty unique perspective on how exactly to achieve that sustainable and predictable revenue growth. And I love the point he made on providing the right message at the right time to the right person. It's a tip that I've heard echoed across the community quite a lot since. And here's how he put it. Probably like best rep that I ever worked with was actually a friend that I referred into the business and he's got like three GCSEs, was stacking shelves in Waitrose before he joined. And I just met him and I was like, you've just got a good demeanor about you and I think you can be successful at the company I work at. And two of these things, I think he was a standout performer on. The first one was his ability to reset. And what I mean by that is... I think even the best reps, particularly if you're willing to prospect at scale, so 80 to 100 outbound attempts a day, even the best reps are failing a lot. And he managed to remove any emotional attachment to a rejection or to a bad day. And quite often when he was having a bad day, he would pull out something out of the bag quite late, you know, maybe 4 or 5 p.m. And by that time in the day, most people that haven't been successful by that point are kind of in quite a negative headspace. And I really felt like he was incredible at just every dial is a new attempt. Relevance is a lot more closely and better aligned to cold calling, which is if I was a rep or a manager with a sales development function, what I would be trying to look to do is to say, okay, how can I make the messaging today relevant to, for example, an industry? So I'm going to create a list where it's only finance businesses that we're calling today. And this is the relevant messaging for someone in finance. Because I don't think that the research time versus ROI to results matches on cold prospecting in the same way that it might do other other channels. Okay, if you're a good cold caller with a relevant message, it actually doesn't matter if you know if that someone supports this football team or went to that university. It's more about the, like, can you show someone that you understand them and their business through kind of subtle parts of what you're saying? The primary element of the go-to-market proposition for every company that we represent has to be, how can you tweak what you're communicating to speak to a prospect's current challenges? And the adjustment going into 2023 is likely going to be, how can you do more with less? How do you automate parts of your business to mean that you don't need to hire and bring on headcount, which creates a risk in a slightly tougher economy. 
I would be thinking about how to add finance personas to every every list that you're trying to prospect into. Like no matter what happens in 2023, uh, CFOs, finance directors will be on the buying committee. And starting there isn't actually the worst idea, even if they're not your direct persona. Because every line item on in terms of spend and future purchases is going to be heavily scrutinized. I think those, again, would be the two things that I'd, um, I'd immediately identify as things that other companies can think about that we'll be doing. Next is Dan Waldschmidt. He's the CRO at Panzura. What struck me about Dan's approach was the beauty in its simplicity. It's not just about doing more. Instead, it's about focusing on the right thing and putting in the time to do it well. The question it left me with at the end of it was, how exactly do you know where the right place is to focus? There's a lot of things we do that are stupid in business. You know, we hire, but don't train. Okay, stop doing that. High train people, invest in onboarding, invest in knowledge systems. By the way, if you want to read an amazing book, I think it's Enemy at the Gate, uh, Stephen Prescott, and talks about the Spartans and how they would shine their shields and they would teach the young Spartans how to sort of live in the culture. In sales, we, we recruit and we tell people, you know, hey, Lee, this is going to be amazing. Come join us. Let's do this. We're going to change the world. We hire you and then we forget about you. And then six months later, we come and yell at you because you haven't produced revenue. And so, okay, let's not do dumb shit. Hire people, onboard them well, right? Pay people what they deserve. It's funny how not, we're sellers. And we often have a horrible story. The story that we tell, the narrative that we tell is lackluster. And it's just uninspiring. It doesn't seem to have all the components in it sometimes. That's where we were a year ago. We were. And so I hired an agency and spent a lot of money, you know, twenty, thirty thousand dollars a month. And then I hired a second agency to help us with some other things and paid them twenty, thirty thousand dollars a month. So I invested in this. I invested it wasn't free. So you have to often invest in a company who could help you do these things. But we worked with two different agencies and we came away with a first call deck that was just like lights out amazing. Like just amazing. Focus, mission, details. Focus. You can't do everything. You've got to focus on what matters. The high-performing teams know what matters, and they focus on it maniacally, maniacally. They don't do 10 things. They do two things. They do those two things with all the effort of that small company running around doing 10 things half-ass, right? They do two things really, 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 really well, okay? So that's one thing is, is focus, focus. Number two, mission. They're not selling something. They're on a holy war, right? They're on a mission. And there's the person who's selling you something, it's kind of, you're pivoting, you're sort of all over the place. And a mission-driven person, like a dog with a bone, like you cannot stop them from getting what they need, where they want to go. It's a mission. It's a mission. And then number three is details. And the details, the turn of the phrase, the color, the shape, the variety, this sort of artistry is what makes great teams significantly better than anyone else in their industry or their space. Ian Moyes is the head of sales at Chai. And his reiterating of how important relationships are is more important than ever. His approach is a real reminder to me and I think to the rest of everyone listening of how important it is to get the basics right in an increasingly digital world. I can build 
towards a relationship far, far quicker by the type of interaction I have and humanizing it, making it personal and us chatting. After this call, we'll have more rapport than just the, a couple of emails exchanged arranging it. It's the nature of how humans work, right? But how many salespeople are avoiding that? Well, therefore, you're not building towards a relationship, but you claim you've got a relationship. Really? You've got to think about that one as well. Because a combination of these, the more you have conversations with people, which also both of these link to questioning in a minute, which we might talk about, but the more you have conversations with people, the more rapport you build. doesn't mean you're going to win the deal, but you're increasing your opportunity all the time to be better at engagement, know more about the prospect, have more of a relationship and have a better chance of winning than someone else. The more rapport you build, the easier it is to ask and frame questions. And some of it is the rapport. Some of it is technique and verbiage of how you ask this. And this is the bit I always hone in on and I'm constantly looking to improve my skills on because it's so easy to miss. And I've always said to me, if I know 10 or 20 more things about this prospect than you do, do you think I've got more chance of making the right decision? And that doesn't mean winning the deal necessarily. It might mean extraditing yourself and saying, this isn't right for us or the customer. We're not a good fit here, but I found it out earlier because I know those data points and the competition is going to keep going after whatever and probably end up in the same place, but much more costly sales cycle. Understand who are your buyers, customers, people, etc., and how is all this going to affect them? Because that has a knock-on effect to you. If they're going to, you know, start holding down on on buying or delaying purchasing or whatever, might depending on your market or service, what's the likelihood of that happening? And one of the things you can do there is talk to them. Again, not on email. Have a conversation with them. If you've got good relationships. This ties it all together nicely, actually. If you've got good relationships, go and have some conversations at senior level with your customers and get an understanding. Be transparent. You know, we're trying to understand what the impact of this is going to be. And the best place we can gain that from is of prospective customers is asking our existing customers who are in the same dynamic and market. And how would you feel? Get some insight. When I spoke with Lorena Morales, Director of Global Digital Marketing Revenue Operations at JLL, something that she said really stuck with me. Stop being distracted by the shiny things and instead work out what is working and focus your time there. It's about being more efficient to therefore become more effective. What Revenue Operations offers, it's a new way of thinking where it's a methodology that is very human-centered. If you don't focus on your customer, there's no real definition of revenue operations. Revenue operations, yes, is aligning, aligning your GTM teams. Yes, it's breaking some silos. Yes, it is finding the revenue leakages. Yes, it is working with the systems. Yes, all these things. But if you don't map all these processes and all this mapping and all these projects to your customer journey, there's no way revenue operations is going to work. Putting the right tool stack in the hands of the business. And by the business, I mean the salespeople. So since it was a very, some of the processes were very old school and they worked for a while. But now the new generations at at GLL are starting to believe that the more intel you have in the accounts, the better you can target them and the better you can offer some value. What we need is people that are coachable, that are 
willing to learn a new skill, that are willing to learn a new thing, that it's not on their comfort zone. And so I believe heavily on that because that's the way they push me again to become what I am today. So you're right, like doing more with less also means stop being distracted by the shiny things and start doing more of the things that are actually working and do more of the things that you can measure and track. Because if you can't measure it or you can't track it, then just to stop. There is no other way just to stop. Riyadh Yabra reminded me of a vital aspect of revenue operations that is, I think, all too often overlooked. There are people behind that data and you have to treat them with the compassion and care and respect that they deserve. Work with them to achieve your goals. Don't dictate just because the data tells you so. In the revenue operations space, a lot of the work that we do to try to come to that single source of truth that we always talk about <laughs> is in support of allowing our C-suite leaders to be able to make the right decisions for the company. And going through those experiences and literally being the person that tells the CEO what we need to do is mind-blowing. You become a strategic partner. You're not a tactical Salesforce or HubSpot administrator or anything like that. It becomes a part of the process, the people, the data, all of that rolled up. And then understanding what this means for our organization, understanding what's going out in the rest of the market and the competitive landscape to come back and say, well, we need to really up our marketing game or we need to be at this conference or we need to stop spending as much in this area. Plan accordingly, ask all the right questions up front, think about your ramp, think about all of the sellers that are involved, think about your implementation, your time to revenue, because you have revenue recognition implications that are different for every company. It might take one company 12 weeks to implement someone or onboard them onto their tool or technology or service, or they could be provisioned immediately and you start gaining that revenue right now, right then. And so it depends on the company, the nature of the business, and regardless of that, ask the right questions, think about planning and measure yourself against it. Always celebrating the wins and patting people on the back, giving them, you know, the feedback and the ability to learn and level up themselves. Thinking about professional development within your planning, that is also important. You're only as good as your people. And if your people aren't stretching themselves and thinking about ways to learn and develop They're just remaining stagnant and they're going through the motions. You want to be surrounded by the smartest people in the room. I don't want, I've heard people say, I'm not hiring anyone smarter than me. And I'm like, I'm hiring everyone that's smarter than me. Like, what? (laughs) What do you mean? And so that's another aspect. Your end of year sort of closeout cycle and the beginning of the year kickoff and getting ready to hit the ground running should entail not only the numbers and the forecasts and the compensation planning and all of the things that we currently do, but it should also be about, well, what are our goals for next year? What are our things that we need to achieve and accomplish? How much are we going to grow? How do we expect to get there? How are we going to enable our people to do that? Annual sales planning was a popular topic throughout the quarter. Stuart Dale made a crucial point around having backup plans that will allow you to adapt to whatever may happen in your market. Even as we approach April, I wonder how many took his advice. One of the things that's important is that when like, there's this whole concept around diversity of mind and, and it's important that when you're going through that growth, which we're now in a different phase to where we were at the start of the year, 
that we don't just keep bringing in the same type of person. So actually, one of our most recent hires is somebody that has a high level of structure because we know that we've got maybe more people that are used to kind of finding a way to make it work. So actually, we want to make sure that we're being mindful and bringing in people that can actually collaborate and, and learn from each other in a way that will be the best for the business. Because ultimately, we're now hiring for people to take us from 1 million to 5 million, that we need to have that diversity within the team. Businesses went from planning 50 roles to 10. And for us, that was like a, a, a big shift because we had this massive opportunity of total addressable market where everybody was hiring because everybody had loads of cash and everything was really buoyant. Today, in an environment where that was uh, cut back. And what we did is rather than hit panic buttons, we kind of paused for, I'd say it was a couple of weeks to kind of let things stabilize a little bit. And then you started seeing that there were still more open roles than people, the highest number of open roles that have ever existed. What we've been doing with our sales planning is building three or four scenarios, which range from really bad to bad to good to great. And I think that's really important for us to have the visibility of what those scenarios look like. And one of the other mistakes was probably not thinking through like ultimately how commission and compensation may need to evolve and change and businesses like for example at, at Screenloop, like we've changed the commission probably three or four times this year already because we need to be agile you know the expectation on what a target was achievable was really just a number that we hope was achievable but we've had to be dynamic and actually think about you know the fact that we are building a business and we need to show that we're flexible with what we're trying to do and i think possibly at yieldify maybe that that was too rigid and People know what good and fair looks like. And we have been very focused on trying to yeah, optimize the commission and the compensation as fairly and as quickly as possible. Vice President of Revenue Operations at Talent, Kimberly Haley, taught me why it's critical to always be planning. And this year has proved that to be correct. She also offered a fantastic insight into how to leverage commission structures to keep your team motivated, even as revenue targets become tougher to hit. The, the old ABS, always be selling, we should take on the mantra of ABP, always be planning. And I said to the team, now we probably want to get quarterly views of this stuff and readouts of how things are going so that when we get into planning even next year, we're not trying to pull together and scramble 60-page decks on, on what our territories are going to look like, but we have a one-page view because we've been monitoring it all the way through the year. So I think that's my other big learning from this year is that you really want to be planning in advance and anticipating what is going to happen so that when you get into planning, it's not too late. You're kind of on the forefront. How to motivate the salespeople in a down market. And it's the conversation is real. It's not necessarily about more quota equals growth in this kind of market. It could mean lower quota, could mean better attainment, which would mean more growth. And that's a very different conversation. It's getting people used to that concept of, well, maybe we lower quotas to help drive attainment because it will motivate and will lower that attrition. So there are different factors now that you have to think about that maybe weren't part of the modeling or part of the concern before. And I, th I think the last piece, so those two, and then the third is 
making sure, again, from a sales perspective, that each salesperson feels like they can be successful in their territory. My first learning from this year is that if you don't put one metric in there, then you'll never get started. But then the health of the health score gets better the more metrics you add. So usage, I believe usage was, say, the first one. And then there were other components around the number of visits or the number of engagements that were had with the customer through the year that gets added to it. And then the number of logins gets added to it and so on and so forth. And so it's a lot for us right now because we can track those product items. Those were kind of the first piece. And then I know that that there are plans to expand from there, but those were the critical ones to get in there. And I'm hearing that it gets stronger and stronger the more you add the metrics. What can we do to motivate the entire organization, not just the salespeople, but to motivate everyone to do whatever the role is? So for example, we're simplifying. That's one thing that we're doing this year that I think is going to help things. And simplification is in, okay, SDR, your role is pipeline, good quality pipeline and conversion. So making sure that the metrics are focused on that and getting rid of any noise that may have been in the plan outside of that one thing. And then for the account exec or the salesperson, driving new business. And that's two ways with existing customers or new logo. So really just focusing on that piece. The things that you can constantly track in the revenue operations team, that gets a little bit more specific to the revenue organization. So you kind of like a big general, and then you get a bit more specific into how is the performance by the different distribution methods, direct sale, indirect sale, what territories are performing better than others, how much new business versus existing business is each territory selling, what's the the account penetration, what prospects, are there types of prospects that they tend to hit because that will tell us if we should be capitalizing on some sales plays. And you start to whittle it down, down, down to then, I think, a growth trajectory, a growth rate a growth percentage that will then drive what quotas would be. Darren Fay, Director of Revenue Operations and Intelligence and his team at Instructure, have created something pretty special with a very mature operations function. For me, I loved hearing about how exactly they've structured their team with a very diverse range of skills that goes against the norm that I've come across in the 50-odd people that I've spoken to on the Revenue Insights podcast. One of the learnings from last year for me was making sure that you focus on the data. So understanding where you're seeing momentum, where you're seeing the tailwinds and leveraging that and making sure you deploy it in the right way to capture it. And being careful to focus on the nuances as well. Because if you get caught up too much in you know the general fact of, hey, this is a hot area, we're going to go into this area, you may miss something. In a lot of cases, you see in revenue operations, somebody will come in and they will level up a role because they realize that they couldn't do something that they wanted to do rather than spend the time and allow that person to have some breathing room to develop themselves so that you can take on bigger and newer tasks. And focusing on giving somebody and prioritizing the ability to have your team take the moment. And, you know, I, I like my team to block off half hour today to focus on 
stretching. So professional development. It doesn't necessarily have to be like a 30 minutes a day off of work for training, but it has to be 30 minutes a day that causes them to be stretched. It could be a task that they are not super comfortable with that allows them to develop a new skill while they're going through the process. And it focuses on areas that they need to improve in. The vast majority of the people that you get you know, in your career to work with have some other type of aspiration, whether it be short-term or long-term. And if you can give through your coaching sessions some visibility into the route to get there, you have more meaningful time with that person. Otherwise, you have people who are going to say, well, I'm going to go look at this opportunity. And then you're going to find out two weeks before they leave that they're looking for another job rather than you working hand in hand and their career development is a part of your conversation so that you're a part of the conversations when they do have the opportunities that come forward. And you can be a good advocate for them. I think you being a good leader and being a good advocate for the people who work with you leads to more people wanting to work with you and it leads to more development and people staying with you for a more meaningful period of time. Q1 of the calendar year is closing and things certainly have not got much easier since 2022. In our recent B2B sales benchmarks report, we discovered that only 29% of reps hit quota at the end of last year. It's tough for everyone out there. With any luck, Today's episode will have helped shine a light on how some of those 29% do it. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Revenue Insights. If you want to learn more, subscribe to our newsletter and we'll deliver every episode straight to your inbox. If you have any questions, feel free to connect with us on LinkedIn. Our links will be in the episode notes. See you next week.